Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly podcast that looks at all the news and goings on in Houston's bar and restaurant scene. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Joining me as my co-host this week is Nathan Ketchum, a local restaurant consultant and the former owner of Samba Grill. Nathan, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Well, let's just uh, let's just jump right into the news of the week. Uh, obviously, the big news in the food world isn't isn't restaurant related, and it isn't directly connected to Houston. But you know, on some level, I feel like we wouldn't be doing our jobs here if we didn't talk about it. Which, of course, is that Amazon has agreed to buy. Whole Foods for almost fourteen billion dollars. Nathan, are you a are you a Whole Foods shopper? Are you excited about this change? Um, I'm not really a Whole Foods shopper per se. Obviously, I think everybody gets there on occasion for what they need. Um, you know, they have the moniker Whole Paycheck, um, and I kind of uh, I am a believer in that. I am I'm a H E B diehard, so uh, getting me away from them is pretty hard. Uh, but this could do it uh, if I can get good groceries delivered in the comfort of my own home, then that might, that might do it. Well, I mean, you can get good groceries delivered, right? Certainly HEB has a relationship with Instacart. That's been, you know, it's a, it's a small, it's a very small segment of the grocery market, but it's growing. Uh, Whole Foods has a very small percentage of the grocery market, especially compared to Walmart. But certainly this idea that Amazon, very known for their efficiency, very known for their logistical expertise, could bring some of that to the grocery business, which is notoriously thin margins. Maybe, maybe find a way to make Whole Foods high quality produce, meat, fish, ethically organic, all that stuff more affordable for people. I mean, that's certainly intriguing. Yeah, it's a really interesting concept. Uh, you have Instacart right now, which is pretty popular here in Houston. I don't personally use it because the markups can get a little outrageous. They mark up uh, each individual item you order instead of giving you a specific, you know, cost of delivery fee. But um, obviously, Amazon will probably just charge you Amazon prices. Um, it's how they make their money. With, uh, you know, after all of the kind of standard Twitter jokes of, you know, Jeff Bezos told uh, uh, the Echo, hey, order me something from Whole Foods. And Echo ordered Whole Foods. Right. Um you know, then a little more takes kind of started going with, uh, you have Chef Alice Waters out of uh, California wrote an open letter to Jeff Bezos asking him, telling him he has an unprecedented option to change the way that people eat food in America, making sure that all food is uh, sourced properly from ethical traders and ethical growers and ethical ranchers. You know, I'm not sure that Amazon, who's whose shtick has always been, we'll sell anything to anyone as long as it's legal. Uh, it's going to do that, but um, I'm kind of on the on the team that, you know, Amazon bought Whole Foods is purely a branding ploy, and it's more of a have a whole bunch of, um, you know, locations that they can use as many warehouses to do delivery. Yeah, I mean, they're all located, I mean, for the most part, in these incredibly affluent areas. People who are probably already Amazon customers, maybe even Amazon Prime customers. I'm certainly one of them. 
I mean, you know, the other the other trend that this sort of follows, and David Lefwich has a good column about this in the Houston Chronicle, is, you know, consolidation of grocery stores. We're long gone from the days of, you know, the corner market that had a few items and, and a very small refrigerated section. You know, grocery stores get bigger. They serve more and more people at a time. You know, this is just part of that. And, and Amazon bringing its resources and its economies of scale just, you know, it presents it presents all these intriguing possibilities for both good and for bad. It does. You know, in America today, we have a, a huge food desert problem. You know, large swaths of America. There's no no option to buy healthy food, nothing other than your corner store with Doritos and candy for families to go and buy food. Um, some people are hoping that this will help change um, that. Maybe the delivery option will help families be able to buy healthy food at a reasonable price. Um, I don't know if it will help that well because obviously delivery is still an option. You can't have food sitting out and you know on your doorstep for eight hours. But right, so you have to have a you have to have a way to receive it. You have to have you have to be home at a, at a time when they can deliver it. I'm, you know, that certainly you know all of these things are easier the more affluent you are. You know, if you can pay someone to monitor your house full time when you're not at work or to go grocery shopping for you. Obviously, you know, that changes the economy of it, but, uh, you know, we'll certainly a lot, a lot to see, uh, the transaction is expected to complete by the end of the year. And then we'll start seeing how these changes roll out, but it's, you know, it has the entire, you know, the, the stock market for grocery stocks has been dramatically altered by this. Retailers are nervous. It's, it's just one of those changes that's coming. We don't quite know what's going to happen, but it's, it's something that the whole food world is definitely going to monitor. For sure. Uh, my mother's excited. She gets her groceries delivered all the time. Um, she'd love it to be on a constant thing. She tries out all the new apps. She used somebody somebody new with HEB recently. She ordered 10 bananas, and she got 10 pounds. So she was... Uh, <laughs> That's a lot of bananas. Telling, telling that story, uh, I think, four or five times over uh, Father's Day weekend. All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, another... Seems like every week we have a new out-of-town-based restaurant concept that announces plans to come to Houston. This week it's Ascension Coffee, which is an Australian-style coffee shop from Dallas. They are the first announced tenant for the Heights Waterworks Project, which is Braun Enterprises development on 19th Street that's going to bring at least four new restaurants to the Heights. Uh, You can read comments from the owner in my article on Culture Map. But the one thing that struck me as interesting was that he said that he feels like Houston is still kind of underserved for coffee. If you think about Montrose, just in a, in a very small area around Westheimer and Montrose, you have Blacksmith, Southside Espresso, there's a Starbucks, there's Siphon Coffee, there's Fix, there's a Mercantile. You know, you have this high concentration of good quality coffee in a very small place, and there really isn't another, and they're all thriving seemingly. And there really isn't anything else quite like that in the rest of Houston. So, Nathan, my question to you is, does the Heights seem like a reasonable place for to try this next? Yes and no. It seems like the Heights um, is getting a little crowded in, in general. Um, but at the same time, there's not, you know, you just named a ton of different coffee places, yet they were all in Montrose. So, um, Right. I mean, the Heights has Boomtown, certainly on 19th Street. It has antidote on studawood and there's a new coffee shop called thoroughgood somewhere in that area that i haven't had a chance to visit yet but it it doesn't have the density 
Yeah, uh, the Heights has grown significantly over the past few years, so I think they could um, they could hold up to another one or two really kind of these top tier coffee places. And then Ascension, you know, they they have alcohol, I believe, and they they do food all day, so they'll bring people in uh, and kind of feed them and uh, give them different options. Yeah, I mean, the feedback from my colleagues at Culture Map Dallas is. Ascension is really, really good at what they do. It's a very comfortable space. Service is great. The food is really good. And everyone everyone from Dallas that hears about this is like, oh, yeah, no, we go there. Like people who are serious about food. So I, I think this is going to be a, a welcome addition to the Heights. And, and it'll be really interesting to see what else Braun signs on for this development because it's going to have a huge green space. It's going to be this – and it's this cool uh, – the waterworks has all these old pipes and, and it was like a, you know, it was a city, city of Houston facility for a long, long time. So it, it doesn't look anything like the kind of places restaurants are opening these days. And I think just that alone makes it a unique setting that will draw people in. I mean, reading the description of Ascension and uh, just trying to understand what it is, it, it seemed like a, almost like a downhouse whenever they first opened kind of the concept they were going for. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's right. You know, when Downhouse first opened, I want to say six years ago in 2011, they they kind of saw themselves as like a coffee shop first with some food and a bar program, and they discovered really quickly that people were using it as a restaurant, and they pivoted. Ascension, at least, kind of knows that people are going to use it as a restaurant, but, you know, they they do the coffee shop stuff kind of first and foremost. So they roast their own beans, you know, the owner, Russell, Russell Hayward, sources them from around the world. And then, but they, but they know that they want people to come in for the food and they want people to come in for drinks. And so they do all of that too. It sounds like a great concept. And I, I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't doubt that we'll see more than one in Houston open uh, pretty soon. All right. And then next up, this is, this sort of touches on a local story. It, it relates to certainly one of Houston's most prominent restaurateurs. Tillman Fertitta, the billionaire owner of Landry's, has purchased an interest in the EMM Group, a New York City-based restaurant group that opened, that operates a seafood restaurant called Catch in both New York and Los Angeles. This is, I mean, if I called it a clubsterant, I think that might be, that might not be a very nice way to describe it, but it it's a restaurant with, you know, a significant nightlife component, a rooftop patio a major focus on drinks, shareable plates, but it turns out the food is actually pretty good, at least by reputation. There's a somewhat snarky New York Times review of Catch from a few years ago where the reviewer is basically forced to admit that I expected to hate this and it was better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, Catch is a uh, kind of part of the new growth in restaurants where it's not only about the scene, you know, celebrities, it's a three-tier restaurant with a big, giant rooftop patio, uh, loud music, beautiful people, lots of celebrities. But, hey, the food happens to be really good. Right. And, I mean, it seems to me that the closest restaurant in that style here in Houston is Steak 48. Yeah, Steak 48 is exactly what comes to mind. Uh, I don't know if uh, Steak 48's food would be uh, in the same level as Catch. Obviously, I haven't been to Catch, but uh, several people whose opinions I've value have and, and claim that it is quite good um but steak 48 has good food um but man the the bar is just packed it's filled it's all about the scene it's seeing people and that place has just been 
busy since it first opened. Yeah, just a financial juggernaut. Uh, certainly one of the highest grossing restaurants in Houston in terms of revenue. Chapman and Kirby and Edo is going to give this a shot with a, you know, like explicitly, you know, it's it's a couple of former club owners that are behind it. They're going to have a DJ after 10 o'clock on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights, stay open till 2, serve drinks, but they also want to have that restaurant component. Tillman Fertitta told me that he thinks this is the future of fine dining, that millennials don't want to necessarily get dressed up and, you know, sit still for eight courses or, you know, I don't know. Nathan, how do you feel about this? Is this, if you were going to open a fine dining style restaurant in Houston in 2017, do you, would you want that kind of lively club atmosphere as part of the, as one component of it? Personally, no, but that's, you know, uh, but, but I mean, Hey, you can't deny that steak 48 is going to make all of its money back in one year and profit. So, and that, that's just a very, very rare thing to do. Yeah, I'm, and we're going to get Tillman Fertitta's take on this when he opens Mastro's, it's another upscale steakhouse uh, on Post Oak, well, no, on 610 at the new Post Oak mixed-use development that he's building. And we'll find out pretty quickly, I suspect, whether Houston can support two high-flying nightclub-influenced cocktail-oriented steakhouses. Yeah, within a mile of each other. Yeah, but I mean, just looking at the... I mean, you know, looking at the parking lot at Stake 48 on any given night, they're uh, they're making it work. They could do half of their sales right now and still be fine. <laughs> All right. And then uh, maybe my favorite story of the week, just something we published on Culture Map Tuesday morning. Ronnie Killen has some opinions about the Texas Monthly list of the state's top 50 barbecue joints, a, a list that he is on, uh, but he was not in the ranked top 10. He missed that by... 0.25 on a five-point scale. He got a 4.5, and he needed a 4.75. Ronnie's specific criticism is that places on the list like Snows in Lexington, Franklin in Austin, and Cadillac in Dallas that are one, two, and three are not very accessible. Snows is only open one day a week. Cadillac is only open two days a week. And, of course, going to Franklin requires something like a four- to six-hour commitment. My question really is, does he have a legitimate gripe here? I mean, is how important should the ability to like get in and out of a barbecue joint in an hour, an hour and a half matter when you're putting something together like a list of the 50 best? I don't think it matters, um, especially for the, for the Franklin criticism. That's not Franklin's fault that they have that many people trying to eat at his restaurant every day they're making as much meat as they possibly can and putting it out uh that has nothing to do with you know with franklin's uh snows maybe maybe he's got a point there they're only open for one day a week um and it's much easier to make high quality if you're only smoking once a week um it's it's considerably harder to do what what Bronny does and the the with the the amount of food that he's cooking and the, the pure business that he does to try to do that at a high level. But there are other people that, that do it. Um, and I don't think Ronnie is, is frankly, as upset that he, he wasn't in the top 10 as he was about some of the comments that were just, frankly, made. Yeah, I mean, I think his other beef uh, is that the restaurant is, quote, lacked soul. Or no, it was, I think the specific quote is, built for efficiency rather than soul, which 
it's a little bit, you know, in a list that's designed to single out the 50 best barbecue joints in the state, when we have hundreds and hundreds of them, seems a little bit snarky. It's incredibly snarky. I don't see how Tejas, Regal's corkscrew has any more soul than than Killen's. So that, I mean, you, you, you can argue the merits of the food all day long, but the soul comment seemed very out of line and frankly makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, it's a converted school cafeteria. It's kind of decorated in a retro style. It's it's not a stylish restaurant, but it's a it's a perfectly comfortable one. I mean, it's one I've certainly eaten at many times over the years. I don't, I mean, I don't even know that I, you know, I guess I like soul with older joints. I mean, I, you know, when you walk into Louis Mueller and the walls are smoke stained and it feels like it's been there forever because it has been that it opened in the 1930s. I mean, that's, that's different, but in a, in a suburban American city like Pearland, I just, who cares? I'd agree, but they didn't, they didn't complain about soul on any other restaurant that was built in the last two years that doesn't have smoke stained walls or. Right. I mean, does the pit room have soul? Like it it was a porn shop. Yeah. uh, I mean, there's fake wood on the walls. Does that, they play country music. Is that right? And then they, they made a comment about his brisket being dry. Yeah, I've never had dry brisket at Killen, so I, I can't speak to what other people's experiences are. But he has switched to a Snake River Farms Wagyu Angus blend, so that should pretty much be the end of that. Well, if his brisket was dry, would he get four and a half stars out of five stars? That seems a little disingenuous. Right. It, you know, I mean, we, we devoted a whole episode to the Texas Monthly Top 50 a few weeks ago with our friend Michael Fulmer from the Houston Barbecue Festival. So I don't want to, I don't want to rehash that conversation, but you know, Killens gets the details right too. The sides are good. Desserts are good. The line moves quickly. You know, this is, this is a restaurant that, that I think got a little bit snubbed by Texas monthly. And I think Ronnie, you know, I think Ronnie's earned the right to pop off a little bit when he wants to. Ronnie's the most popular chef in Houston. He can pop off all he wants. It's not going to hurt him. It'll probably just make him popular. If anything, the two-week wait at SDQ is going to be four weeks now, and I won't be able to eat there for an even longer period of time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. His other his other restaurants are doing very well. You know, he talked about, in, in his comments in my article, he talked about the fact that the barbecue restaurant does, on the weekends, $35,000 in sales a day, which is really just astonishing. I mean, so, like he said, as long as he's got a line... As long as his food is making people happy, then, you know, who cares what Texas Monthly thinks? Yeah, he was in the top 50. I'm sure he was he was on the outside of the top 10 looking in. And for, for the amount of food that he does, that's a, that's a very good accomplishment. I think that wraps up the news of the week. You, uh, we'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? So you and I dined at two restaurants this week that we want to talk about. The first of which is Alice Blue. That's Claire Smith's replacement for Shade in the Heights. I'm going to be really honest. We didn't have a great experience. And I kind of want to get at the heart of why. And and I don't want to be, I don't want to be mean about this because the restaurant's only been open for a couple of weeks. I think we caught them on their second Friday, but, 
what would you say? Let's start. Let's let's before we before we condemn. Let's start with a little bit of praise. What did you enjoy about Alice Blue? I thought the bread was good. And well, I and they, the they bake it in house. Yeah. Well, yeah, they bake that bread in house. They make the desserts in house. I I like the tomato panzanella salad. I thought that, that was that was that was very good. You know, tomatoes uh, are in season. Bright, fresh tomato acidity. There were uh, there was watermelon in it, right? Was it watermelon or peach? There was mango in it. There was mango in it. Thank you. You know, but but we found the menu a little bit boring, and I you you were the one who pointed that out. So why don't you get at the heart of All right, your it, objection? The, the menu seemed like it was hipster from five years ago. If if I had to describe it, explain to the people what you mean by that. Uh, it just seemed, I mean, if we're going to call something without soul, I, I guess that would be that menu. Um, uh, the the main the mains were chicken snapper. Um, Steak. A, a strip. Um, bouillabaisse and pork belly. Yeah, the snapper was the bouillabaisse and then pork belly. Um, nothing too exciting. There, there were pasta options that, that could be good. Um, I believe they were out of a few, so we didn't get to try, so... Um, let's hope that those were amazing. Um, that's why they were sold out. The the one pasta we did get, uh, which one did we get? We got a cavatelli. That's right. Uh, it was it was okay. The pasta was a little undercooked and it was uh, under seasoned. And it showed up like not at an optimal temperature. It was a little bit. It wasn't cold, but it wasn't. It was room hot. temp. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the time the wait times on all of the food were fairly extravagant. But again, I'll forgive that because it was a. Uh, you know, there were two weeks in. They were fairly busy. Uh, they weren't full, but, you know, it's a small restaurant, and they were, I'd say, 95% full. Yeah, I mean, they, they're certainly busy. Uh, we, had a, we had a beef tartare dish that we liked that had all the classic. It had, you know, it had the, um, the capers in it. It was very caper-forward, you know, good quality beef. All that stuff came through. It's got a great beverage program. Uh, yeah, the beverages were the best part of the restaurant. Yeah. Sean Jensen, formerly of Public Services. Very passionate. Yeah. Super knowledgeable guy about, you know, wine and whiskey and, and beer. I mean, just a a really knowledgeable, really friendly guy. You know, so it's it's possible to have a good experience there. It's just, you know, they're kind of going for the sophisticated neighborhood restaurant thing. Um I think Riel, I think Nobis, you know, restaurants like that are are a little bit more innovative in their cuisine, still offering that kind of casual, you know, atmosphere where you could go there once or twice a week and have a good meal. Um, but at the end of the day, we paid one hundred and twenty dollars before tip for dinner for two, and I only had one drink, and that just felt like a lot of money for what we got. Yeah, if all of the food had had just really been spot on, then we wouldn't have been complaining. So true. It, it may have just been some some slight execution errors, um, stemming from the fact that they're two weeks old. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not writing Alice Blue off. I will go back uh, probably in a couple of weeks to see how they're progressing. But you know, it's a it's a good reminder that sometimes restaurants, even restaurants with you know a pretty good pedigree and a great location, sometimes need a little bit of time to find themselves. Yeah, and they definitely need some time. Um, the The dishes just all seem to need some oomph to them. They seemed a little, little boring. I guess it's just the best way for me to describe them. 
and I know that doesn't help the the listeners here at home, but if you ever try them, you might understand. <laughs> All right, we had a better experience at a feeling feeling a little bit stung. We wanted to go super casual, super classic, so we went to the new location of Doc Coffee Shop, uh, the Pappas Family Restaurant, their diner. They've opened a new location on I-10 East at Federal Road and the location that used to be Pepys Meat Company. Nathan, how would you say Dot did it satisfying your craving for chicken fried steak? Chicken fried steak was good. It was uh, crispy, kind of peppery, uh, not overly filled with crust. It was 14 bucks. Uh, filled you up, came with two sides. Can't really complain. No, I mean, we had, uh, we had we started with an order of fried cheese sticks and I described them as uh, hot dog thickness. I mean, they were they were enormous, and they were gooey, and they were well seasoned, and they were everything you could ever possibly want from mozzarella sticks. And they were, I, we got like seven or eight of them for I think eight bucks. Yeah, there were enough cheese sticks to feed like eight people. They were huge. They were the size of curling irons. <laughs> I had a roast beef with uh, three vegetables. I mean, look, like this is. This is classic stuff, you know, the, the peas are mushy, the mashed potatoes are, you know, butter, salt, like all good things. But, you know, sometimes you just want that. And whereas Meat Company may not have been, which was kind of a, a saltgrass style casual steakhouse, may not have been quite a fit for that neighborhood or may not have been marketed well by the Pappas family. I don't, there's a, there's a little, there's a lot of blame to go around with why that concept didn't work. Uh, Doc Coffee, we went to Doc Coffee Shop. They were on a wait and late. I mean, I didn't. I don't think we got over there until late thirty nine o'clock on a Saturday, and they were still on a half hour wait. Yeah, and then we can't forget the yeast rolls, which were, you know, no, fantastic. The, the yeast rolls that are included with uh, with the meal, complimentary, or the uh, the excellent pie we all took home afterwards. Yeah, I had a chocolate pie, and it was uh, very good. My wife really appreciated it. All right, well, that does it for our restaurants of the week. We will be right back. Right back with our interview of the week, uh, Mike Sammons, the owner of uh, Mongoose versus Cobra, 13 Celsius and Weights and Measures, is going to join us. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our interview this week is brought to us by Eighth Wonder Brewery, one of my favorite local breweries known for their flavorful, easy-drinking beers. You know, I've, I've certainly put down my share of Dome Foams, their cream ale, Rocket Fuel, their Vietnamese coffee porter. They have some new beers on the market. They have Vice Timer, which is a Hefeweizen. They have IP8, which is, uh, for all you hopheads, uh, 88 IBU, 8.8% ABV. And really the best place to enjoy an Eighth Wonder beer is at their brewery in East Downtown, conveniently located near Dynamo Stadium and Minute Maid Park. So the perfect place to go before a game. Parking's easy. You can walk. You can have you know, a couple of beers for a lot less than you're going to pay in the stadium. And of course the Eatsy Boys food truck is out there serving food, as they like to say, eight days a week, uh, lunch and dinner. So thank you to eighth wonder brewery for supporting the podcast. And here's our guest this week, Mike Sammons. My guest this week is Mike Sammons. Mike is an owner at 13 Celsius Mongoose versus Cobra and Weights and Measures, uh, three establishments that really defy the midtown stereotype of big bars that serve cheap beer to fist-pumping former frat boys. 
Mike, you know, one of the things I wanted to do with the show when I first started was talk to people that we don't get to hear from very often. Uh, talk to people who I've had conversations with privately for years that don't do a lot of press. So Mike, I just want to say thank you for doing this. Cause this is, this is really, I'm just so pleased to have an opportunity to, to talk to you like this. Absolutely. It's, it's my distinct pleasure to be here. Uh, why don't we just start a little bit with how did you get involved in the restaurant industry? In the restaurant industry, well, I guess, well, I'd, I, I think I'd say I'm more involved in the bar industry, but I got into the restaurant industry through the bar industry. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, I got into it because I don't know, I don't know what it is about a bar, but to me, it's one of the most uh, beautiful things in the world. Um, something about everybody meeting together of you know, absolutely like people coming from every you know sector of society just coming to one place to get together and I don't know maybe meet you know maybe maybe uh find your wife you know which you know something that I did anyway so yeah I guess I got through it by some sort of a distinct love of camaraderie does that make sense I don't know absolutely okay when did you open 13 celsius 13 celsius was opened in 2007 New and Year's then Eve, 2007. It, it's, it's a ballsy thing, it seems to me. Because, I mean, that was kind of before Midtown really started to come around as a residential area. True. You know, you were one of the first people to take these, um, you know, an older building and renovate it instead of tear it down, which we, we've seen more of. Certainly downtown, that's been a, that's been a trend. But, but at the time, it seemed sort of revolutionary. Well, was it, thanks wh- for saying that. That's nice of you. <laughs> what was it? What was it like in the beginning, kind of building that? You know, explaining to people what a wine bar is and, and kind of building that audience. Well, first of all, I have to say uh, that none of that would ever have been possible if it weren't for my business partner Ian Rosenberg, who uh, had the vision in the first place. Uh, he ha- found an old building, you know, that uh, really should have probably been raised to the ground, and uh, and had an idea to make something else out of it. Uh, fortunately, we, we met. Uh, and uh, and talked about it um at the time there was literally nothing there in, in fact even street lights were were not around so it was just dark and uh i you know when we opened 13 it's like you know because there's just a bunch of windows right so it just illuminated that entire area right there right so yeah there was nothing there we were talking about i'd see maybe four customers a night you know um that was before i feel like that was kind of that's almost a decade, I mean, more than a decade ago, I feel like that, that was back when people really did, didn't even understand the concept, you know? Um, but they did eventually, you know? Right. I mean, you, you know, you were serving, you know, uh, smaller batch wines, wines, you know, you weren't serving big California cabs or Oki Chardonnays at a time when, you know, I think the, those trends were, were coming towards Houston from the coast, but maybe, maybe hadn't hit here quite yet. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people credit 13 with, you know, kind of changing the way that Houston thinks about wine. I, I, I think that's probably a fair assessment. Yeah. Um, how did you develop that passion for wine? What, what got you into, into this mode where you could kind of share that with me? Okay. I've, I've actually been asked this question a lot uh, and I've never really given a good answer. So I'm going to try to give a good answer right now. And I, I've been thinking about it actually. And I think what it was, so I, I spent some time in Italy, right? And, you know, there, the Enoteca or the wine bar is kind of, you know, ubiquitous, right? It's all over the place. Um, but 
so I was going to those as not even really realizing what I was doing, just going to meet friends or whatever, you know? And then one time there was like, there was some weird uh, parade, right? And I bought a bottle of wine from a Inoteca and brought it to the friends that I, that I was meeting. And they were like, this is the most, and we opened the wine and we started drinking it in plastic cups or whatever. And they're like, this is the best wine I've ever had. And I was like, I don't know, that's kind of interesting. You know, I just selected something that I thought was weird, unusual. It was like a strange Brunello, you know, that I'd never heard of. And I, and I just like, this, this will be interesting. And they, and they loved it. And I just thought there was, there was something magical about that, not, not to get uh, overly not to sentimental. Get too romantic about <laughs> yeah, it. But, yeah. but I mean, but, but, you know, certainly, you know, 13 <clears throat> does have that romantic quality to it. It's a, it's a great spot for dates. Uh, I know the Houston Press had a little bit of fun oh, pointing yeah. out that it's a it's a popular place for people to have Tinder Tinder meetups there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I will say, you know, the staff, to their credit, you know, um, Adele and and the whole rest of the team, they do a great job. Absolutely, managing that environment. Yeah, and you know, sometimes they get they get frankly they get a little annoyed because there's a lot of necking, right? There's a lot of <laughs> a lot of smooching around there. Um, but to me, I'm like, well, at least they're not fighting. You know, if they're not fighting, then then we're doing all right. So I, you know, I I encourage that. Uh, dare I bring up uh, Marfrillas? You know, yeah, yeah no, I was, absolutely. I was just about to say, are you the new kissing bar? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Marfrillas, you know, has that kind of institutional quality. I mean, if yeah. it's if it's known for anything, it's known that you can kind of go upstairs and is it? Let I don't your hair down a little bit. Is it still that way? I haven't, I haven't, I haven't been there. In, I haven't been there since it reopened. To be honest, with you. I haven't either. So I don't know. You know, and I I went there once with with a woman I was dating at the time who was like, just once I want to go to Marfela's. Like I want to have this experience. I I thought it was kind of uncomfortable, but what do I? <laughs> I think I'm I'm too self conscious. But it's it's certainly an institution that that place. You know, I mean, it's been around forever. Yeah. Um, and then you just celebrated the five year anniversary of Mongoose versus Cobra. We which, did, yes. Which took another. Uh, older building and renovated it rather than tearing it down. And it's, I mean, I remember when it opened and it's just, it's just pretty in there. It just feels comfortable in there. Yeah. You know, it's, so we're five years old. And by the way, our, our birthday was insane. We had uh, the guys from doomsday wrestling come in. They literally set up uh, a wrestling ring in the middle of the bar. It was insane. It was so fun. It was really good. Um, <clears throat> And speaking of, thanks, thanks for bringing that up. Um, we are in the process of sort of revamp, not revamping, but just tightening the screws a little bit on Mongoose, right? Five years old, just giving it some love, you know? And like, it's starting to just bloom. It, it, it's a great bar. Um, I've been there, I, I'm doing happy hour. I'm, I'm actually bartending there now, which, uh, which is uh, interesting for me because I'm just trying to get my chops, you know, keep my chops or whatever. And um it's just nice to see all these people that like, I mean, people still come to Mongoose that have been coming there since day one. And, and, and that's exceptional. You don't see that too often, you know? So I'm really excited about the direction that Mongoose has taken and, and, the, and, and the, with the new developments in the super block over there between McGowan and Maine, you know, by Reef. Like, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen to this area of town. It's going gonna, it's gonna to explode, I think. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right across the street from... Leon's. Leon's, yes, thank you. Sorry. I mean, one of the oldest bars in Houston. Uh, certainly institution. I mean, do you do you look at Leon's and just feel like that's what you aspire for your places? Sort of, yeah. I mean, Leon's was was and still is my well, okay. No offense to Leon's peace and love. 
But number two bar, number one will be La Carafe. Number two of course. is Leon's. But then again, that's the oldest and the second oldest in the city, right? Or is that the way it goes? Yeah, I mean, Kay's Lounge slots in there somewhere. The West Alabama yeah. Ice House is on that list somewhere. I don't, you know. Oh, God, that's probably. You know, they all kind of rank. They've all been around for a really long time. You can't. They served you, a lot of drinks to a lot of people. I think the West Alabama Ice House is kind of on another level, right? It doesn't even really, you know. Well, it doesn't serve liquor. <laughs> so true. it's, and it doesn't, and it doesn't have indoor seating, so. It's kind of its own thing. Yeah, it's definitely its own. And you have tacos. What is yeah, it? Tierra Caliente right yes, across the street. Which is like literally the best. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> you know, but certainly what Mongoose did five years ago with, you know, a really good tap wall of craft beer where it's, I mean, you, you have local stuff, but you also are pretty good about bringing in interesting stuff from, as I like to say, beyond the Red River. Um, but also like a really good cocktail program. I mean, I remember... When I first started going there, Yel Vengroff was there, who's uh, yeah now in L.A. and just wrecking shop. And Killing it. Young Gun finalist and, and everything else. Alex Gregg was yeah, there from the Yeah, Alex Gregg was there. Um, and it's maintained that tradition of having really good cocktails. I mean, how, how much of a role do you have in that? Or how do, you, how do you find that balance between your vision and letting the staff have some freedom? At, at, this, at this point, it's mostly the staff, uh, particularly Andy, who is our... Um, general manager he runs a program now um they are i mean i i try to just sort of i don't know for lack of, of a better term quality control i guess i guess it just means drinking their cocktails that they make but um just you know it's noble work <laughs> yeah well you know someone's got to do it um but uh yeah no i i i try to actually not really be too involved in that because i think you know look first and foremost a bartender always wants to be creative right like that's that's the that's the interesting part of being a bartender that and interacting with with guests. Um, so I just I kind of let them just like take it over, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then of course you opened Weights and Measures uh, at the very beginning of 2014. Yes, yes. The very end of 2013, the very beginning of 2014. Yes. Really, a true neighborhood restaurant. I mean, we Culture Map awarded it the best neighborhood restaurant a couple of years ago. Uh, Richard Kaplan's menu: pizzas, pastas. Housemate charcuterie. I mean, it's it's all the things I like to eat. Um, you had sort of grand plans that, that was going to serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. There was going to be a cocktail bar that was open until two a.m. Yep. You scaled some of that back. Why? What do you think about the concept? Maybe wasn't quite on time with what the neighborhood wanted it for. That's a good question. Um, here's the thing. I think that in this city. fundamentals are are important you know you got to get everything right um the weird thing about this town is that people are are aware you know they are they are savvy like if if everything's not perfect they know you know you can't you can't fudge it in this town anymore especially especially now there's so many new restaurants and so many new bars opening and everybody's trying to do the best job possible and they know now so <clears throat> i think trying to do everything at one time is not a mistake, but let's just say overly ambitious, you know? So what we, what we did is we toned everything down and we focused on doing what we know how to do and, and, and doing those things better. And now like, to be honest, I kind of took a step back and tried not to be too involved with weights and measures for a little while, but I've, I've been back recently and I've eaten dinner there and it was, it just killed it slayed 
you know, I mean, it was like, I, I, I was just super impressed. The chef is just, is just knocking it out of the park and, and his, uh, his, his team is just doing stuff that I've never expected before. So I think by toning it down and, and basically getting back to fundamentals, we've actually improved, which is interesting to think about, you know? Yeah. I mean, certainly, I mean, and Nathan, you probably speak to this. I mean, when you focus on doing a few things well, rather than trying to do everything pretty good, you know, I think the results can only speak for themselves. Yep. Prep is hard, man. You spend four hours prepping for one service, try to do it for three. It, the mistakes are going to happen. Quality is going to suffer. Uh, you'd have to have a huge kitchen and a lot of staff. So mm. it, it's hard work trying to do three separate services a day. And um, to do that well takes it takes a lot of work, and it's it's very difficult. So I think uh, scaling back is a really smart decision. Absolutely. Um, just just negotiating the drama with 90 employees can can be enough to drive anyone mad. Um, so yeah, no scaling back, uh, kind of getting down to brass tacks, you know, like focusing on the things that we know are good and just like even like improving upon the things that we know are even almost perfect. You know what I mean? That's sure. the, that's the key. I think you see all these places with the cheesecake fac- factory menu, 200 items. And you, you wonder why the food's not good. It's yeah. because they have 200 items. There's no way they can make every item that good when, I mean, no one, no one in the kitchen knows how to make every item. So exactly. Yeah. That's, that's a good example, by the way, because I've seen that menu and it's like, it's like a hundred items on that thing. It's, it's Asian crazy. pot stickers and pot roast yeah. and tuna tartare and, and linguine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they have 10 Asian things and 10, 10 Italian things. It makes no sense. It's insane. Uh, so kind of big picture. I mean, where do you, you've, you better than most, I think you've seen the city evolve as a, as a bar destination, as a culinary destination. I mean, what's your sense kind of of where we are, right now as a city i mean we you know it seems like a kind of an ongoing theme of this podcast is you know what's next is there room for the little guy or are these big restaurant groups that are coming from out of town kind of taking over okay when i first started bartending here in houston right there were like there was maybe one bar in the city that could make a negroni and we're talking like 15 years ago okay now every single bar worth of salt can make a negroni right and if they can't, you, every person in this town can probably tell them how to make it, right? <laughs> so that's, that's, that alone is like, you know, that explains the, the, like the arc, the direction that, we, that, we've, that we've taken, you know, since then. Also, <clears throat> every, every cocktail bar that pops up is trying to just like um, impress everybody, right? And so we're getting really, really complicated I, I've noticed the trend is that I think people are getting back, just like I said with weights and measures, I think people are getting back to fundamentals. You know, you can't mess with, you know, the highest selling cocktail at, a, at Mongoose versus Cobra is an old fashioned. And I feel like, don't quote me on this, um, but I feel like Bobby Hugel just put out something that had like his, all of their like top selling Cocktails yeah, yeah, and I think it's an old fashioned. Yeah, I think it's too. an old fashioned too. So the the most quintessential cocktail, right? Second only to maybe like a martini, you know. So um, I don't know. I think I think go, I think we've sort of gone as far as we can, and now we're sort of coming back to basics. I think. I mean, do you look at? I mean, for lack of a better, some of these patio bars. 
I mean, do you feel like that's a sustainable trend? I mean, do you go to a place like Axelrad or Wooster's Garden and, and kind of wish you had an opportunity to put your spin on that? Absolutely, yes. Uh, especially like in the month of March when the weather is like perfect in Houston. Otherwise, I don't know. Like today is a scorcher. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's to the point now almost where it's like, um, you know, when it rains or when it's really hot, it's like, where do you? Where do you even go? It's like, I yeah. mean, I wind up at Grand Prize because it's the only bar or Mongoose, I guess. There's, there's there's only so many places that are like make good cocktails and are inside. That's true. That's true. You did bring a a case. What's what's in the case? Yeah, so I brought so I I can't come come and do this with you without bringing you a gift. So <clears throat> actually, I brought you a selection of 3. So you have to choose. This is what's this is the interesting part. Okay. All do right. I have to choose before I open the case? Uh no, it will open the case and then you choose. Okay. So all right. So this is uh, so this is from Mongoose versus Cobra. Actually, we've uh, we've had it there for a while. This is my grandfather uh, Haskell's old uh, highball case. Oh wow. Um Saturdays and Sundays he would bring this thing out stocked as such. Um, so so let me just describe this for our listeners. This is a a leather case with Three bottles in it, uh, a bottle of Topo Chico, a bottle of Old Granddad Whiskey, and a bottle of Chartreuse, along with two small metal measuring cups, four large metal drinking cups, and a metal plate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so am I choosing either Chartreuse or Old Granddad? Well, let me give you the, let me break down the history real quick for you. Okay, right? please. So Saturdays and Sundays uh, throughout, so I would always spend the summers with my grandparents, right? And Saturdays and Sundays, he'd break this thing out and like he'd start, I'm not kidding, at like eight in the morning. And once an hour, he'd mix himself a new highball. And I just, I don't, I, I, as a kid, I just love the way, like when he opened the case, the way it smelled, you know, like the sound of it, like all of it, I just love so much. So anyway, I thought I would bring you his selection <laughs> and let you, <laughs> let you choose uh, one of the three. Oh, well, I guess I will go with, Chartreuse. I knew you would do that. <laughs> I like chartreuse. It's a little bit spicy. It's a little bit, um, I don't know, bitter's not quite the right word, word but it's very aromatic. Um, it's, a, it's, the, uh, it's one of the best things in the world, in my opinion. Yeah, it's one of those kind of, it's, it's made in France, right? It's made by monks. Absolutely. Um, it is kind of one of those um, bartender handshake spirits, right? Like, yes. Uh, a shard of chartreuse, like, um, like a shot of Fernet or a shot of... Uh, Campari. Absolutely. You know, yeah. where if you're not expecting it, it's definitely going to give you a little kick in the teeth. Well, it's like the extreme, right? You know? Yeah. 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 The, you know, when you drink, you know, beer or even wine, you know, for a living or, or when serving that to people is part of your job, the idea of an intensely flavored shot of something to just kind of shock your palate and, yeah. and bring you back to earth. Is, uh, yes. Very welcome. Yeah. Um, so are you serving... I mean, are you serving highballs? There's, I thought I saw a promotion on social media that you guys are doing something with these. Uh, we we definitely have before. Um, actually, now at Mongoose, every Wednesday, we're just, we're, see, I feel like the, all right, the fundamentals, right? So every Wednesday now, we're doing this thing where we, we pick like one classic cocktail. I'm talking like, you know, like we'll do like a, a Manhattan, a Gimlet, a straight up gin martini, you know, uh, just a classic highball, like, you know, uh, fundamental you know um classic cocktails anyway every wednesday at, at mongoose we're doing that and they're like you know they'll cost you like a song so it's a pretty good deal and i know that you're not quite ready to talk specifically about your future plans but you are working on some stuff 
I definitely am. Um, I just, you know, I've moved to the east side, like east of uh, Ida. Yeah. Over there, Harrisburg. And uh, I am in love with this neighborhood. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely working on a concept over there. Um, Still working out logistics, still got some time, um, but focusing uh, a lot on this. Look, everyone's moving to that area. There's so, there's so much going on over there, and yet it, and yet still, uh, you know, you can't buy a bottle of wine and take it home for dinner in that neighborhood. So something's got to change. Yeah, I mean, we Nathan and I were talking earlier about Alice Blue, uh, Claire Smith's new restaurant in the Heights. Sean Jensen is overseeing the beverage program over there for now, but he and he and a chef have plans to open a restaurant in that neighborhood. Yes, that's right. Uh, Brad Moore just opened. What I've been kind of thinking of of his Grand Prize East, <laughs> Little Danny Speedos Go Fly a Kite Lounge, which is a great bar. Which is a great bar. And then I've been really happy with. Um, now I'm going to blank on it. The one that's like a little bit north, that's owned by the guy who maybe owns the Harp. Oh new yeah, potato. Uh, new potato. Yeah, that's that's my favorite. Yeah, that's my favorite bar in the area right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I really like new potato. It's it's very unpretentious. It's it's very simple. Uh, it's got that great patio, and it's got a wonderful view of the downtown skyline. Absolutely, it's awesome. You can you can go out there, and you're you're almost like in a in another world. Yes, radio friendly vocabulary, please. Yeah. And it's got that you can see that great HTX sign that's on the on that building over there. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's. I think that's going to be part of the East River development that Midway's putting together. Yes, yeah, I think so too. Um, but that bar is great. Uh, love you, the new potato. Shameless plug. Are there any other new places that you've been to recently that you're kind of excited about? Uh, well, I, to be honest, I don't get out that much, but uh, I'm excited about Voodoo Queen is reopening. I'm excited about that. Um, we'll see what happens there. It looks like they're kind of expanding. Yeah, they took the laundromat next door, as I yeah, understand it. Yeah, exactly. So I'm interested to see that, especially because you know it's in it's it's in my neck of the woods. Um, what else new? I don't, I don't know to be honest. God, I'm out of the loop. Um, I'm just so so focused on the east side right now. Yeah. What, what about what about the east side makes it seem like it's? I mean, because you you did kind of pioneer. I hate that word. That's a terrible word. But you you were among the first entrepreneurs to see some opportunity in midtown do you do you feel like the east side is kind of where midtown was 10 years ago maybe sort of yeah actually i some people don't really agree with me on this um but i think that um the east side is a lot is a lot like the heights was 20 years ago when i first when i first lived when i first moved to houston i lived in the heights and it was like you know you could walk down the street and and you'd literally pass by like basically a mansion and the next door would be like a shack with like chickens running around, you know, and that, that's what the East side is. So I don't know. There's a lot of space. Um, there's a lot of buildings that are derelict and, or just straight up abandoned. So I, I see a similarity there. You know? And you, you, so you're looking for the right space for a new bar probably. Definitely. Yes. Maybe more than one. At least one. <laughs> that way. <laughs> we'll start with one. All right. Um, well, Mike Sammons, thank you. We've, we've tried something for the last couple of episodes that I call the lightning round. Are you, are you in? Are you uh, just five questions, irrelevant topics, short answers? Totally in. Yes, All right. of course. Oh, goodness. Oh, what's the first restaurant you worked at? The first restaurant I worked at? Um, 
You mean like a real restaurant? <laughs> uh, I mean, however you want to answer that question. If you, see, if no, you no, no. flip burgers at McDonald's, I'm, I'm in. Okay, I got it. Uh, it was a place called Cindy's in Corpus Christi, Texas. Yeah. What did you, what did you do at Cindy's? I was a waiter. <laughs> um, what's the first concert you ever went to? Uh, Poison. Nice. Did anybody open for Poison? Britney Fox. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the best new restaurant that you've tried recently? Oh, I really, you know what? Andy's. In East, in East, Andy's Cafe. I, I'm not just trying to, yeah, I'm not just trying to go on the east side, but really, I love that restaurant. It's so good. It's so good. I mean, they have this one ceviche dish, which, which has like walnuts and sesame, like oil. It's just, it's amazing. I love that place. Nathan, Nathan is not in an agreement. He used to work with David Guerrero in the Samba days. Yeah, he's a great chef. Um, uh, favorite Houston sports figure? You know what? I still, all right. <laughs> I know, you're not a sports I'm fan. not really, a, yeah, I don't really watch the sporting matches too much but uh i recently sort of ran into craig biggio which was interesting um and he was there with like i don't know i think he'd like well all right full all right full disclosure i went to top golf and uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's your favorite bar in houston <laughs> it, yeah well it's a little out of my range but yeah um but he was like golfing with like a bunch of kids sort of like the bay over, you know, and he just seemed like a really nice guy. I don't know. He was cool. No, know? I got, I got the chance to meet Craig at a media event for his sports bar at the Marriott Marquis. And, uh, I, I really enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. He just seems like a, like a solid dude. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Honest guy. Yeah. Honest guy. Nice guy. Yeah. All right. Last question. Where's your favorite place to get tacos? Well, I got two and I, and you I can can't have two. I yeah, I can't, I can't pick one over the other. Well, as we've discussed that we've tried to coordinate a meeting taco nazo right on the east side but then number two would be uh you know the alabama ice house and, and yeah, uh, yeah you can't just tell people a little bit of taco nazo because i feel like we hear a lot about tierra caliente but taco nazo may be a little under the radar well taco nazo is on i want to say 17th street but i i'm t probably totally wrong but it's really it's just a trailer or not a trailer, it's like a truckish trailer. I don't even know how to describe it, but they've like sort of built a small kind of patio-ish situation, which incidentally is right next to like some strange uh, Mexican cantina, which I know is has I know opens, but I've never seen it open. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I know it's open because when you look through the windows, you can see like the remnants of like a party, right? So it, I don't know what it is, but anyway, it's right next door to that, and like they serve. You got to order properly, right? You got it. This is uh, introduced to me by my friend Sam English, uh, who uh, took me out there. But you got to order like one plate, and that's like the it's like the fajita plate, right? But like they serve you like when you get it, there's like a roasted um, whole onion, you know, and like garlic, and they give you like um, uh, cilantro and all. This. It's just it's just gorgeous. It's it's absolutely so delicious. We gotta go. We're going. We're going. All right. Uh, Mike Sammons, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. I really appreciate it. Nathan Ketchum, thank you. Appreciate it being here. Um, as always, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Uh, please rate us and give us a comment. But like Katie Nolan says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. I'm on vacation next week, so no podcast. We'll be back the week of July 3rd with a new guest and more news on What's Eric Eating. Thanks so much for listening.